It's another episode of Passing Judgment. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Loyal Law School Professor Jessica Levinson. We have the show's co-host, Joe Armstrong, and we're going to give a little legal update for the week. We're going to talk about things related to the Department of Justice, pardons, the Supreme Court, plenty to go around, and these are issues that are going to stay with us for a while. Happy day to you, Joe. Happy day to you, Jessica. Lovely to hear from you. Lovely weather in Southern California this time of year. I'd like to bring that to everyone's attention, to those of you freezing back east. There was a recent Supreme Court decision this week regarding COVID restrictions about attending church services during the current pandemic. And this was an eastern state, as I recall. But now that has moved out here to our lovely weather environs. Jessica, what happened in California this week? I feel like you're tempting the earthquake gods by bragging about our weather, As just as a quick side note. All right, you asked me about the Supreme Court. What is happening? So just last week, the Supreme Court ruled in a five to four decision with respect to New York State restrictions, COVID restrictions. And they said that the restrictions were overly burdensome when it comes to a Catholic church and a synagogue. Basically, the Catholic church and the synagogue sued, and they said, hey, New York, you're trampling on my First Amendment rights to freedom of religion. And the Supreme Court agreed. A couple of things to remember. Before Justice Ginsburg passed away, when she was still on the court, the court was about five to four in favor of these restrictions. This shows you what a deep impact her absence has. Now, with Justice Barrett on the court, it looks like the Supreme Court is at least five to four against these restrictions. And so if you think about a scale, on one side you have religious freedom, First Amendment rights. On the other side, you have the government's police powers, um, health, safety, and welfare powers. And the current Supreme Court is just weighing that in a slightly different way. And um, should we talk about the California case briefly? Absolutely, Jesse. So that was the New York case. And that kind of said to everybody, hey, there's a new Supreme Court in town, and this is how we view these restrictions. Not all the restrictions, but it certainly gave us, I think, a different tenor and tone to the court's approach. And there is a case, um, a very similar challenge by a church in California. And they appealed this decision to the Supreme Court. Essentially what the Supreme Court said just this week is, you know what, lower California court, we'd like you to go back and reevaluate our decision based on what we just said in the New York case. Go back and think about what we said and figure out if you're going to make the same decision, which is another way of saying we're weighing these two interests differently now. Uh, And I think it's a message, frankly, to many states and localities that they need to be um, maybe more circumspect maybe narrower when it comes to restrictions that burden churches, temples, mosques. It doesn't mean you can never have a restriction. It just means here is a Supreme Court that's going to be very worried about um, restrictions on religious institutions. And we don't know who wrote the opinion. It was a procuring opinion, which means unsigned. But in the opinion, it says... Uh, even in a pandemic, the Constitution cannot be put away and forgotten. I th- my money is on Justice Barrett having written this decision. And again, we've t- something we're going to talk about for a long time. Her impact on the court will be significant. 
Very interesting, Jessica. One can't help but wonder if the court will look upon other things that apply to the First Amendment in the same type of way when it comes to something beyond religion. And my other point here, Jessica, is, is this a preview of other things to come in Supreme Court world? You can read the statistics. America is becoming slowly and consistently less religious. Does that risk putting one of the branches of our government out of step with our society? We hear about legislating from the bench, but aren't we veering into legislating morality from the bench in these situations? Yeah, this is such a good question. And I mean, we could do a whole series of episodes on this question. The Supreme Court at this point, if you look at presidential election results, for instance, does seem to be more conservative than the rest of the country. I would give you a somewhat contrarian view, though, in the sense that the Supreme Court, by definition, is not supposed to be a majoritarian institution. It's not supposed to be an institution that represents our policy goals. Think about, for instance, if we were a society that was racist, discriminatory, misogynistic, that all of those things suddenly were in favor. We wouldn't want a Supreme Court that reflects our views. We would be, frankly, happy with a Supreme Court that was out of step. You know, I'm being a little too general about this, but I will say, you know, the courts are supposed to look at the facts of new cases, apply them to the law. Now, your question is a bigger one about, you know, what if the Supreme Court is just so fundamentally out of step with where we are in, for instance, gun control, uh, speech rights, voting rights, reproductive rights? And my answer is, yeah, I think you and I are going to be talking about that a lot over the next few months and years. Good, because we have a lot more episodes to make, Jessica. We need things to talk about. There is never any shortage when it comes to law and politics. And honestly, I love talking about these things with you. So thank you for indulging me with my questions. Next up, we have a bunch of things to talk about with Attorney General Bill Barr, William Barr. There's like a trifecta going on here, Jessica. Well, first of all, what in, or what's going on with Barr? <laughs> what? Now, isn't that really the question of not just the day, week, month, and year, but almost the question of this administration, what is going on with Attorney General Bill Barr? So a couple things we wanted to talk about. The first is that Attorney General Bill Barr said there's no evidence of widespread fraud when it comes to the election, which is obviously a huge break with his boss, President Trump. And the other thing we were going to talk about, which is not a break with his boss, President Trump, is that he has appointed a special counsel to essentially investigate the investigators. Now, I'm going to go to you, Joe, on this first one where Bill Barr comes out and he says, and look, it's a little late. You know, it's like now everybody's established that gravity exists. And he says, and I just want to go on record as saying, in fact, there's gravity. But he said there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud, admitting, I would say, reality. Why is he doing this now? What, what do we think is going on? File under no poop. I saved myself from saying a very bad word there. I mean, look, we've watched this all play out over the last month or so now. By anybody's metric, this was a pretty boring election. They counted the votes. I mean, we had some some extra drama when it comes to a significantly larger number of mail-in ballots and other types of ballots. Because of the pandemic, people felt much more safe doing it in that way. And I, going on the record personally, saying that was the right way to go about doing that. We still had to have the election. We had the election. They counted the votes. 
It was not a blowout win, but it was a convincing victory for the Biden-Harris campaign. So it was boring. What on earth is Bill Barr doing saying that gravity exists, saying that there's no widespread fraud? No poop, Bill Barr. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, a couple of things we've talked about. Is he just trying to salvage his reputation? Because before he became attorney general for a second time, he was an attorney general that I think people might have disagreed with, but I don't think there was a feeling that he would have just sold out the rule of law, which, frankly, from my perspective, is what has happened. I don't know if it's about his reputation. I don't know if it's about what's happening in Georgia, where Republicans have to convince voters in Georgia that they need to trust the system enough to go vote because there are two really important runoff elections uh, for the two Senate seats there. And Republicans cannot continue to say you can't trust the election system and at the same time say you have to show up in huge numbers to vote for these two Georgia Senate races. Um, I I just, and of course, what we haven't uh, said is that we assume Bill Barr just wants to do the right thing. That's not something that... um, came up for me. So I, I don't I don't know. I don't have a good theory on this one. Joe, do you want to move on to the one that's more typically Bill Barr? Yeah, you know, I have a hard time seeing Bill Barr doing these kinds of things out of the goodness of his heart or some kind of sense of righteousness or duty. It's kind of, I mean, I thought about the Senate angle and it's a little mystical to me. It's mystifying to me, but it's not all wine and flowers for Bill Barr. Uh, He's still trying to muddy the waters when it comes to the election. It's like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Did he appoint a special counsel of some kind? He did. At this point, what we know is he appointed a special counsel. It's investigating the people who were investigating the 2016 election. And, of course, those original investigators were looking into inappropriate practices by the Trump campaign when it came to the 2016 election. What does it really mean? I think what it means is that um, one attorney general Barr is still taking actions that are consistent with what President Trump wants. And two, that this special counsel's work investigating the investigators is going to continue into the Biden administration. So it essentially assures that we're going to continue to hear about this and that um, the Biden administration will have to contend with this. I don't expect that there's going to be any more real news or legal developments, um, but it will. It basically prevents the Biden administration from being able to say, let's just move on. And in fact, our next topic brings up a big issue dealing with how much the Biden administration is going to want to just move on or not. So the next thing we want to talk about is pardons and the president using what is very broad pardon authority. And the reason that I'm talking about the Biden administration at all when it comes to President Trump's pardon power is if the president tries to pardon himself, then here's what has to happen for us to figure out if that's constitutional or not. President Trump in the next 40 plus days has to say, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and pardon myself. I haven't been charged with anything, and that's okay, but I'm going to pardon myself for anything related to the presidential campaign and my time in office, which is incredibly broad. But we don't know if that's okay unless 
the uh, Department of Justice federal prosecutors in the Biden administration decide to pursue charges against President Trump, and he then uses that pardon as a defense. That's what you need, those three steps, in order to set up the case that asks whether or not presidents can pardon themselves. Joe, should I pause for a minute? Yes, please, because to me, Jessica, this pardon story is just a morass of public opinion and legal mumbo-jumbo. Both sides look the other way at the end of presidential terms when it comes to these lame-duck presidential pardons. There are dozens, usually, of pardons that get handed out, sometimes up until Inauguration Day. So, you know, like so many other things, Donald Trump is shredding norms. The guy is nothing if not persuasive. He loves to shred norms. He's got Bill Barr in his pocket, it seems like, still. But, you know, let's back up just a little bit, Jessica. Like, and maybe I'm hoping you can shed a little light on this for me. I've researched this on my own, but I am not a legal scholar. Why does this power even exist? The power of the pardon, the presidential pen, it smacks of a vestigial divine right of kings element of our Constitution, doesn't it? I think that's exactly right. And it, in fact, does date back to the idea that kings could pardon people. And when it comes to this pardon power in the Constitution, I'll go ahead and read the text. It's in Article 2, Section 2, for all of you following along at home. And it says that the president, quote, shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States. That just means federal offenses except in cases of impeachment. So that's the only limit on the face of the Constitution. Now, you ask me, why is it there? It's really there for a couple of reasons. The idea that there might be some breakdown in the criminal justice system and the president of the United States can say, you know what, these people should not have a conviction or should not be in federal prison. Think about, for instance, President Jimmy Carter deciding that he wanted to pardon people who we're going to be charged or subject to dodging the draft. It's also there in case presidents think that a pardon is in the national interest. Think about President Gerald Ford uh, pardoning President Nixon because he says we have to move on from this national nightmare. So it's there, for instance, you know, President Obama, I believe, pardoned some people for kind of lower level drug offenses because he thought that the punishment didn't fit the crime. It's not really there so that the president can look at his adult children and say, I just want to make sure you never face federal criminal exposure. Now, let's remember again, the president only has the power to pardon for federal crimes. When it comes to state crimes, and I do think that President Trump and the Trump family have some criminal potential criminal exposure he has no ability to reach state crimes. And there is an active investigation out of New York State when it comes to, again, the uh, President Trump and the Trump family. I do have to say this, because when this concept has come up across the media now, it's been floated around for months and months and months. But as he gets to the end of his term, we've been through the Mueller trial. We've been through the impeachment trials. We've now been through the election. Donald Trump has lost. And as nice as that sounds saying that sentence, he's still out there throwing Molotov cocktails around our electoral process and our legal process and our society. When it comes to the president pardoning himself, we are deep into hypothetical legal territory here. And the thing I want to say more than anything, Jessica, is that I can't believe that this is even a thing, honestly, for real. It's for real, totally a thing. So uh, I actually remember teaching this, I can't remember which semester, maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago. And it is somewhat surreal. But, you know, for people who are kind of 
looking forward and figuring out what might I write a law review article about, the pardon power is certainly something to look at. So basically, what do we have on each side? We have the constitutional language that I just read you. And nowhere does it say that the president cannot pardon himself. So does the Constitution answer the question? No. Is there case law on point? No, because no president has ever tried this. So what are the arguments that, no, you cannot pardon yourself? Well, one of the things that everybody points to is that there's this 1974 Office of Legal Counsel memo, the Office of Legal Counsel being part of the Department of Justice, and they conclude in the last days of President Nixon's administration, no, the president cannot pardon himself because no one may be a judge in his own case. Now, that's kind of the foundation of our understanding that you can't pardon yourself. And so other people say that no person can be their own judge, that it might violate the separation of powers. It goes against the idea of being accountable to the rule of law. Another argument that's interesting is that granting a pardon kind of by definition envisions the idea that there's one person giving the pardon and one person receiving the pardon. The response to that, some people have said, well, sure, President Trump will give the pardon and then Mr. Trump will receive the pardon. We're deep into legal hypotheticals now. No, um, no, 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 that will not fly. Go on, Jessica. I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. So I'll, I'll flip kind of quickly to the arguments in favor. The main argument in favor, again, is that on the face of the Constitution, in the language, they don't say no self-pardons. And if they didn't want any self-pardons, they would have said that. Um, now, I tend to think they didn't say that because they just didn't think that it would happen. And if you look at the history of kings and other people who've been able to exercise similar power, you, we don't have really examples of self-pardons. So this one is an open question. The other questions that people have been asking about in terms of pardons, I think are a little bit more easily answered. The first being, can you pardon somebody kind of prospectively? Can you pardon them preemptively before they're ever charged with a crime? And the answer in that case is yes. Look at President Ford uh, pardoning President Nixon. So you can pardon prospectively for a potential future indictment, but not for any potential future behavior. I think that's where judges would say it goes too far. So I can't say, Joe Armstrong, you seem like a nice guy, but if you ever in the course of your life decide to do something that could violate a federal law, then here's your get out of jail free card. So the behavior that would give rise to the potential criminal exposure has to have already occurred. Well, this sounds great, Jessica. If I could just get that blanket pardon, I could go rob a couple of music stores and as many liquor stores as I could find. They'd maybe lock me up and throw me in jail. But then I'd get sprung by President Levinson because it is I have a I have a preemptive pardon. Sounds pretty good to me. Uh, well, so here's some uh, things that might give you pause. One, what you're talking about is probably state criminal law. So most crimes are state crimes. You're raining on my liquor store I know. parade, Jessica. <laughs> Sorry. The other is that in your hypothetical, so let's say I pardon you, and now somebody wants to, 
uh, call you before a grand jury to ask you questions about that robbery. You can't assert your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination because I've just told you you can't incriminate yourself. You can't face any legal exposure. And so people are talking about um, this week the president pardoned Michael Flynn. Well, now Michael Flynn cannot assert his Fifth Amendment right if a federal prosecutor wants to call him to answer for for anything that falls within the umbrella of that pardon. Unless, of course, Michael Flynn is able to say, well, I might face state criminal exposure, which I think is a, is a reach. But where does this leave us? I, I feel like it's class and I should wrap up. Can the president pardon himself? We really don't know. Can the president issue a prospective pardon? Yes, as long as the activity has already occurred. Uh, Can Joe Armstrong get out of jail free? That depends on the governor. And I know you very well. And I know that that is a hypothetical and that will never happen. So that's where we have some answers. Those are where we have some questions. And uh, I believe that's our legal wrap up. You know, Jessica, it's more of a spree than one incident. If I'm gonna go, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna go do that. I'm not just gonna hit up one corner grocery, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to get my name in the papers. But yeah, that's that's highly unlikely. Now, Jessica, Donald Trump has uh, has moved to Florida officially. He collects his mail down there at Mar-a-Lago. Does Florida have an extradition treaty with New York? <laughs> yes, you cannot escape the law down in Florida. Even the uh, separate sovereign of Mar-a-Lago, I do not believe, would give him legal protection. Now, Jessica, there is a very important asterisk to this conversation. I know it came up while we were discussing this over the last 15 minutes or so, but it is very important to note that pardons do not cover state legal proceedings. Am I correct in this? That's exactly right. The president only has the power to pardon over federal crimes. That's because the federal government and the state government are separate sovereigns. So who has the power to pardon when it comes to state crimes? Just the governor. Good luck to President Trump if he thinks Governor Cuomo would pardon him. And we just got some new numbers in for the podcast, and we're overjoyed that so many people are listening and seem to be enjoying the podcast. We'd love your feedback. And as always, please rate and review. You can find Joe, an accomplished musician in his own right, on In-Depth Day across social media channels. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica the show on Twitter at Past Judgment Pod. We wish everybody a little rest and relaxation as we go into this holiday season. Joe, thank you. There's going to be a lot more to talk about coming up. Yes, Jessica, thank you for discussing these things with me. As always, thanks to all of our listeners. We will see you next time. And uh, don't knock off liquor stores, everybody. Just go buy it like everyone else does. It's the right thing to do. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.